time um, in a fall astronomy class at Western Kentucky University. I remember going to the planetarium as a part of the assignment in that class and looking through the telescope that they had there one cool fall evening at Saturn. Now Saturn, as you may know, is the planet with the, with the rings around it. It has multiple moons and it has those rings that, that wrap around it. I had seen it in a book many times before, but had never actually seen it that, in that way with my own eyes. It wasn't a picture. It was really there with a telescope pointed to it. I had grown up out in the county in Warren County and seen that dot up in the sky, but it's like something came alive in a brand new way when we were able to look through a telescope at, at something like Saturn or Jupiter, these planets that, that we can see. We need a lens to be able to see clearly what, what we may be able to sort of see in the sky. To be able to see it clearly, we need the right instrument, the right lens to be able to understand what that actually is. The Bible is that instrument. It is a lens for us to understand what God has intended in this world, how he has designed it and the purposes for which he has designed it and, and has moved it forward. If it was not for God's word, then your opinion would weigh as much as my opinion because we would just be trying to figure this out on our own. And we would look into the past and we would pull from things that have been said there and we would look to contemporary philosophers or scholars and we would debate and back and forth we would go to understand who God is and why he created us and why is the world like it is and what's the purpose of it all anyway but because we have his word God has revealed himself to us he has taught us why and how things are he has created things for a purpose and in an intentional way that includes you and me. Today we're going to look in Genesis chapter 1. And over these next few Sundays, Lord willing, we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, talking about being created in the image of God. What does that mean for man, for woman? What does it mean for marriage? And what is God's purpose? Now before we even look at the text, I want to say a few things here. As, as we think about these things, that there, there are some parameters that, that I want you to understand. First of all, I am not setting out to preach five tips to improve your marriage kind of sermon. This is more of an overview of, of the creation of man and woman and, and, and their relationship to God being created in the image of God and then how they're to relate to each other and how they re relate to the world around them. And marriage is certainly a major part of that, and we'll talk about that today. But this is not just like five tips to have a better marriage. That's not what I'm aiming at. The second thing that I'm keeping in mind is that not only in the Bible does God talk about the roles of men and women and what marriage is to look like, but he also talks about singleness. The Apostle Paul tells us in the New Testament that there is a gift of singleness. And so, so as we walk through this text and begin to think about it today and Lord willing next week, if you are single, don't think that you are lesser than. Don't think that, that you have done something wrong necessarily and ended up single. That The Bible speaks that there are folks who just are single. That's the way that they have been wired up by God. That they have this, this gift of singleness, the Bible calls it. 
And the Bible also speaks to divorce, even going to the point to help us see in the New Testament that there are biblical grounds for divorce. God never wants a marriage to end in divorce. Never. But sometimes it does. And there are some biblical reasons that, that, that divorce happens. We know that there are reasons that are not God-honoring that, that cause divorce in the world around us. And so, so I want you to be careful as, as we look through these texts over these next few weeks to, to make sure that you understand what I'm trying to accomplish here. And that's not to throw single people or divorced people under the bus and to say that you are less than you you would need to spend some time looking at that in God's word and coming to an understanding of what those things because just as God speaks to this he speaks to that as well and so with those parameters kind of laid out there I want us to look in Genesis chapter 1 if you would go with me right there to the very beginning Genesis chapter 1 we start at verse 26 and we'll go through verse 31 and then we'll jump over to chapter 2 and read a couple of verses there. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day and so then if you would go with me over to Genesis chapter 2 go to Genesis or verse 21 in chapter 2 Adam has completed the task given to him by God of naming all the animals and the animals are leaving now going back out into the to the wild I guess and Adam is watching them leave male and female leave in pairs and he realizes that he is alone and he wonders about a helper for him and so God answers. And in verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and his mother, or I'm sorry, leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. Now I want you to understand that, that, that God didn't create Eve because Adam complained about being alone or Adam just was lonely and about to get depressed and God thought I better do something. There are times when, when we allow 
children to experience something and then they realize that this could be better if it's this or if it's that and we say well that was my intention I just wanted you to see that if you go in this direction that there could be more to it right we, we've all experienced that and that's that, that's what we see God doing here it's not that God just oh I didn't think about creating a woman let me hmm, how, how would I pull that off he had an intention he gave Adam an opportunity to experience sort of aloneness so that he would value this relational um, oneness that he will have with Eve even more. And, and we see him build that picture out. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more um, as we walk through this text in a moment. I want to start, though, in Genesis chapter 1. So this is the way that, that I view the world. When I try to make sense out of the brokenness, out of the craziness around us, to come back to God's Word and to take it and to slowly... Not just trying to hurry and read through a Bible reading plan so I can check the box off and say I did that today. But to slowly think, to meditate would be the Bible's word on it. To take a bite and then think about that. Let it process, ruminate on it and, and try to come to understand that. And then look to see what does that look like in the world around me today. And so as we look here in Genesis chapter 1... That, that's why I say we, we need to start right here at verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And so what I understand here right from the beginning, because then in verse 27 he says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. What I come to understand is that men and women are created in the image of God. Men and women are created in the image of God. The nature was already there. The, the animals were already there. God did not create man in the image of the animals. He did not create man in the image of the nature. He created man in his own, in God's own image. In this Scholar Wayne Grudem says, what we come to understand is that man and woman are not created identically to God, but they are created like God. What, what that tells us is that we are not little gods. We will not become lesser gods. We will not become God. But there are attributes, there are characteristics that, that God has stamped into us as People, as men, as women, that, that we, we reflect the image of God in who we are. Grudem goes on, he says, men and women are created like God and are meant to represent him in this world. And so, so being an image bearer, right, created in the image of God, we are an image bearer. Not only does it press on me characteristics and traits and attributes it also moves me to action that, that I am to be a representative of God in this world around me and not just me not just man but man and woman and so that tells me that every person who has been created every person who is alive every person who I can lock eyes with is an image bearer. That means that they are worthy of respect and honor. That, that means that, that God has not created people 
just to be an object for me to use for my purpose or my pleasure. It means that, 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 that people are not like a lawnmower or an axe that I pick up to use as a tool to accomplish a project. People are fellow image bearers. Therefore, they have worth. They have value. They have beauty. They have attributes that have been given to them by God. And so I should treat them with respect. Whether that's the, 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 the baby who is being formed in his mother's womb at conception. Or all the way to the elderly person who is frail and fragile and nearing death. His life is coming to the end. All worthy of respect. This, this dominates the way that I think and I see the world. And so when I hear of Planned Parenthood taking aborted babies and selling them to institutions who will dismember those babies and who will sell their body parts, that's why it causes anger to rise up in me. Because... Those babies are image bearers. They have been created in the image of God and they are worthy of dignity and respect. The way that I feel when I hear that a serial killer has, has, has kidnapped a woman and has chopped up her body after he has assaulted her, the same anger and disgust that I hear about that rises up in me when I hear about what Planned Parenthood has done because I see these image bearers as worthy of dignity and respect no matter what their age, no matter where they are in the process of life because I know that the image of God has been stamped on them. And if you don't value the baby, then why would you value the senior adult? If you don't value the healthy, then why would you value the sick? And so we begin to see this be unpacked here in this text that, 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 that they are image bearers sent to represent God in this world. Another theologian, Anthony Hakema, says the image must be seen in man's threefold relationship toward God. God is a relational God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in perfect relationship before the creation of the world perfect joy in relationship before there ever was a human being created and part of what he has stamped on us is the desires the need for relationship with him that's part of the image that, of God that's within us is the relationship with God but then it goes farther it also deals with our relationship toward others because we understand that, that we are all image bearers, then we bear the responsibility to show respect and kindness and regard for each other. No matter what your political affiliation, no matter what your skin color, no matter what your religious preference, no matter if you're a Christian or not, Sure, there are levels of relationship that we will be able to have based on some of those things. But we still should refer and treat one another with respect and honor. Showing dignity to each other. And so toward God, toward others, 
and then toward the nature. I believe as we look in this text, I think you're going to see that, that, that God has created us to be a steward of nature. I don't think about it quite as much, but I do think about our little five-pound dog and if I am helping him to have a happy life. Now, he thinks I should think about that all the time, and that's all I should be thinking about. And I don't. But I do try to make Murphy's little life as good as it can be. That's why it hurts my heart when I hit a squirrel. Why I don't just drive the car right to them as if they don't matter at all. I mean, here in this text, God talks about feeding the animals. Everything that has the breath of life. That, that little possum, he's not an image bearer. But it doesn't necessarily mean he's got to be a target for my car either. Right? And so he has called us to be stewards of the creation as well. And I know that probably in this opening weekend of bow season for deer hunting, I know that opens up a whole other sermon series. And I'm just going to stop and we'll do that one some other time. <clears throat> but as we think about that, the image of God, where, where we see this expressed in its greatest and fullest way, according to this text, is when the man and the woman come together in marriage. Because God has stamped certain qualities and characteristics onto a man. And he has stamped certain qualities and characteristics onto a woman. And when they come together in relationship, both of these unique genders coming together, they bring the fullest picture of the qualities and the characteristics of God that have been given to us as he has created us in his image. So we begin to think about this. When, when, when we see those qualities and characteristics come together, we see then responsibilities being carried forward. And it is through those gifts, it's through those qualities that, that, that we are able to live our lives and care for this world around us to its fullest. Look, look with me in this text in Genesis chapter 1 there. You get down to the beginning here and the pages like to stick together. You look there at verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so first we, we hear that, that men and women have been called to be fruitful and multiply. Again, thinking about the broad context of what's happening here. We know that there are reasons that some people just cannot have children. And so, friend, if you are dealing with infertility, if God has just not allowed you and your family to have children, don't, don't feel as if you are doing something that's sinful necessarily. Sin has affected us and has, has caused issues. And we'll talk about that next week, Lord willing. But in the in the big picture, the grand scope, God's desire is that through the marriage of a man and a woman that they would be fruitful and multiply and bring life into this world. And I think we stop here to just pause for a moment and reflect on the value of human life again. That it's God's desire for human life to continue on and to continue on and to continue on. 
God values life all the way from the very beginning to the very end of human life. He values human life. And he has given that as a, as a responsibility of men and women to not snuff it out, but to carry it forward, to protect it, strengthen it, watch over it, guard it, sustain it. And we know that because we start seeing it lived out in these next things. That The second thing that, that they're given to do is to subdue the earth. As they are fruitful and multiply, they've, they've been given the responsibility to care for it, to have dominion as they subdue it. You think about that, that, those words, that those are very similar words. To subdue is to have dominion, to rule over it. And on one hand, when we think of that, when someone says, I'm going to give someone to rule over you, you immediately brace and think this is terrible. But we do that because sin is in this world. As a father, I'm smart enough to not say to my 12-year-old and my 10-year-old that while your mom and I go out, that your 16-year-old sister is going to rule over you. Right? Because that just doesn't raise happiness and joy in the house. But that is what I mean. Why do I do that? I don't do it so that Eliza can now become the taskmaster and can take advantage of her younger siblings. I do it because I don't want those younger siblings to burn the house down. Right? And I'm holding Eliza responsible for keeping the house from being burned down while we are gone. And I'm also counting on Eliza as the older child to protect that, that if she thinks there is danger around, it's her responsibility to gather up her younger siblings and to move them out of harm's way to her best ability. That is having dominion. Friend, God has created the police. He has created the government. He has created order and structure in this world to protect us. When it does not do that, it is because of selfishness, sinfulness, and evil and wrongdoing. Not because that was God's desire. He has given those structures. He has given the family structure for protection of human life. He has given the husband to watch over, to lead and protect his wife so that she indeed would be protected and would be helped. And, and, and when it goes wrong, he becomes abusive or neglectful. But that is sin. That is not God's intention and his desire. God's desire is for people to care for people on lots of different levels. And so here as he talks about having dominion, over the creation. Then he also talks about leading the creation. He, he talks about there in, in verse 26. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. And so we're called to protect it. But then also to lead it. As we care for the creation. care for our little dog by telling the kids to put a leash on him when he goes outside because the knucklehead doesn't have sense enough to not run in the middle of the street when a 3,000 pound car is coming his way and as much as his little bark sounds like he's ready to 
fight the 3,000-pound car, his little five-pound frame is not going to be much of a competition for it. When I lead my children and I have to correct them and pull them back, I'm not doing it because I want them to miss out on a great experience. I'm doing it because the path you're on is leading to destruction and harm and hurt. And so here, God says to Adam and he says to Eve, protect the creation, protect each other, protect your children. Lead, subdue, have dominion. Say, let's go this way. Let's live in this direction. And and we, the image bearers, right? I'm not ever counting on a bear to confront me face to face and say, don't you think you should run? He's not going to say that because he's not wired up to subdue and to protect and to have dominion. Oh gosh, you're a human being. I've been created to protect you. He's not going to say that because he's not been created in that way. I have been created to protect because I have the image of God stamped on me. And here we see this in, in, the, in the, the, the man and the woman coming together. Because the, the way that, that a man is going to lead and care is different than the way a woman is going to lead and care. And, and it's the fullest picture of, of who God is when those things come together. When strength and kindness and patience and gentleness come together. That's when it's the best. Not that he shouldn't have kindness and gentleness and patience, but but you see what I'm saying? When, when, When those characteristics and those attributes come together, that's when we maximize the image of God and 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 where we see that lived out is in marriage between a man and a woman when when this relationship is brought together it's not just that we are brothers and sisters even though we are but but it goes to another level to where that that is brought together into a relationship all the way to the point of a one flesh relationship that there is oneness that that is there It's interesting here in Genesis chapter 2 as we consider this. Think about this text. Maybe you have thought about this before. It's it's interesting to me that in Genesis chapter 2 it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. I mean, we're in the neighborhood of Adam and Eve. Father and mother? What's that? God created both of them. There was no mama and daddy involved. But as we look at this text, we know that it was written by Moses some few hundred years after this encounter in the Garden of Eden. And so what Moses is able to show us and what God teaches us through his writing is that this was my plan from the beginning. That a woman... And a man would leave their family and would come together to form their own family. And together they would reflect the image of God in its greatest way together as they move forward in the mission that God has given to them. It's interesting that that, that in marriage, and so 
So as we think about this, marriage displaying oneness between a husband and wife, it's interesting to consider that there is a mission now for these two as they have come together. You had these two individuals, both image bearers, trying to make sense out of what am I supposed to do with my life? And now here in this text, we see them come together and they have a mission together. Reflecting the image of God together in a relationship, they move forward to be fruitful and multiply, to care for and subdue the world around them, and to have dominion over it. And so they join together in the mission. God gave relational oneness to accomplish our God-given mission. What is the mission? The mission is to promote life, to care for, and to lead the creation. And it's best accomplished when the two become one. And so together... We pursue the mission God has given us. And as we pursue it together, committed, leaving our father, leaving our mother, coming together, making our family, making our promise before God to stand together. Then as we find joy carrying out that mission, then we also find joy in picturing it and celebrating it in physical oneness, in physical intimacy. And so we see both of these things. God gave relational oneness to accomplish our God-given mission. God gave physical oneness. Relational oneness moves us to physical oneness to celebrate the relational oneness. Does that make sense? Do you want me to say it in a different way? Husband, she wants you to have dominion over the dishes. And if you will come alongside and help her in having dominion over the dishes, it will put joy in her heart that will possibly lead to relational, or that, that is the relational, it would lead to the physical oneness of the joy of celebrating that together. It's not, it's not a formula of do A plus B and equal C. It's a celebration of we're in this together. You didn't think your job was just to eat the meal and then go and check out Facebook on the couch and leave me to do all the work. We were in this together. And because we were in this together, it pulls us together. And it draws out the physical affection and love that leads to that oneness. But it's because we, we were accomplishing the relational component of it together. Our culture doesn't see that. Our culture just wants to ignore the relational side and step to the physical side and it doesn't matter where it comes from and who 
we act as if we're celebrating that. And the, the interesting thing is this, this thing that, that is to bring us joy, that, that says we had a great day together accomplishing the mission of, a God, of God that he has given us in our lives. Let's celebrate that together physically. And then we wake up tomorrow saying, let's go out and attack this world again together. When we break that, we wake up the next morning with guilt and shame and remorse and consequence. We try to take one piece of the joy. And it doesn't work that way. And so maybe after hearing this and seeing this in God's word, and I'll be honest that, that I do fully have in mind the, the struggle that's going on in our world today over gender roles. I fully have in mind what's going on in our world today over the definition of marriage and, and who can be married. The battle over life. I have all of that in my mind as I think about this. And so I, I want to be sensitive and understand that, that maybe someone is with me here and they say, you know, I, I see what it says and I hear what you're saying, but I am struggling with an attraction that would lead me to do otherwise. Maybe you're struggling saying, my marriage sure does not look like that. I, I hear what you're saying and, and boy, I wish my marriage looked like that. Or maybe you're saying it's such a struggle because the family that I grew up in, my dad, he did not love us the way that we're supposed to be loved here according to this text. Or my mom, she never cared for us the way that you're talking about. And so, so everything that you're saying is just a foreign concept and I've just had to figure it out on my own and I'm doing the best that I can. I got you. I understand. We, we live in a very broken world. But what I want to do right here is to call you not to Brandon's way. Not to Eastwood Baptist Church's way. I want to call you to God's way. And I want to ask you to do what I have to do. And that is to humble myself before God. And say help me be the image bearer that you have created me. And God, I, I will fail. Other people have failed me. Lord, help me to forgive them. God, forgive me and help me to have the strength to turn and to move forward in a way that is pleasing to you. And when I face temptation, when I face struggle in the future, Lord, help me to fight against that so that I live according to your your desire, God. The way that, that we come to that spot is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll talk about how it was all broken right there by chapter 3. And the implications of that. And God didn't scrap the project and start over. He was not caught off guard. He was prepared because we know that he sent Jesus. 
the perfect man who never disobeyed, who took on the image of God in flesh, but was fully God himself and went to the cross and died on our behalf because he had lived on our behalf, never obeying, never falling short, never giving in to any potential temptation that he faced. He is the one who can forgive us. He is the one who strengthens us so that we may live according to his plan, his desire for us in relationship, not only with one another as fellow image bearers, but in marriage and as that mission carries out into the world around us. Today, if you don't know Christ, then I would invite you to come to him, to to turn from your sin and to ask Jesus to forgive you of that sin and to lead you in your life going forward. Today, if you are a Christian and you have lost your way and you have given in to temptation or your marriage is just not what you believe, what you see here in this text that it should be, then I would encourage you to repent, to confess that to God and to ask him to bring reconciliation and healing. And if a part of that reconciliation means that tomorrow morning you pick up the phone and you call a counselor, then husband, you do it. And you ask him for strength to lead and to follow through. And wife, you ask for strength to come alongside, to forgive, or to ask for forgiveness if it's it's on you. And you begin to pursue that. But, but, But it takes us humbling ourselves. So we were standing out on our back porch one night this week, and a neighbor walked up, and he said, you see those two dots over there? I said, yeah, I see those dots. He said, well, that one is Jupiter, and that one is Saturn. And I said, I know that's Saturn, because when I was a sophomore in college, I went to a class assignment and saw it in this big expensive telescope and saw it clearer than I had ever seen it before. Friend, it takes seeing what marriage, what gender roles, what the family looks like through the right lens if we're going to see it clearly. God has given us a mission as a church, as families, is image bearers to graciously and kindly model it and speak out for it on his behalf in a way that that is pleasing to him that is winsome toward other people meaning it draws them in rather than just allows you to think you've won the argument are you living in that way when it comes to how you approach being created in the image of God, about what you believe about marriage and how you are pursuing that in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your revealed truth to us in your word. Lord, if it were not for you, then we would be left to just do the best we can to figure out and make sense of life as we're trying to live it out. But Lord, you have graciously and kindly given us your word that has proven faithful and true over the generations. 
And Lord, we believe that it will remain faithful and true for the generations to come. And so, Lord, we pray that, that you would help us to not just stand for it, but, Lord, to apply it and to live it out in our lives. Use us as your image bearers, Lord, to be your representatives in this world for your glory and for the glory of Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. You, oh Lord, could save the same.